0: Good morning, my name is John Crawford and I am one of the pastors here and I'm really excited to be with you all this morning to continue our series in the book of Exodus. And so uh, buckle up because we are going to be talking about fire, snakes, and blood today. So we're in for it. Um, We are going to be looking at Exodus chapters three and four this morning. And so if you don't have a Bible, please raise your hand because we are going to be covering some ground in that this morning. Our ushers are making their way down the aisles. We'd love to give you a copy of God's word. If you do not own a Bible, this is our gift to you. We want everyone to have a copy of God's word so that you can grow in your understanding of the good news of the gospel of Jesus. So a little while back, my wife and I went out on a date night. Uh, we've been on date nights since, so don't worry. But a while ago, we went on a date night went out to see a movie which doesn't happen all that often anymore because we've got little kids and so that kind of hinders that right and so we go to the movie we see the latest Thor movie um whatever that's called I'm not a big comic book guy so um but we went and we saw it uh went in the theater watched the trailers the movie begins and we get to see the beginning of the movie right and so my wife leans over and is like hey Can you grab me some popcorn? My wife likes popcorn. So um, I was like, hey, you know, I want to be a good husband. So yeah, you know, I'll get up in the movie and, and go get you some popcorn. So I went to the concession stand, waited in line, got popcorn, probably went to the bathroom, whatever. Missed about, you know, five or 10 minutes of the movie. And so I came back and I sat back in the theater and I'm confused. I'm like, what's going on once again? I don't know all the characters. I'm not a comic book guy. So I'm confused as to what is happening in this story. So I asked my wife, hey, what's going on? Because I I missed it to get your popcorn, right? And she says, uh, you know, one or two things to try to help me out, understand. But the rest of the movie, it didn't click, right? I'm trying to connect the dots for the rest of the movie. And honestly, I don't even remember the movie. I just remember being perpetually frustrated throughout the movie that I didn't know what was going on. And so... um, The reason why I didn't know what was going on is because I missed these crucial moments in the development of the story, right? And so this morning as we come to Exodus chapters 3 and 4, these are the crucial moments of the story leading up to the drama of Exodus. If we miss Exodus chapters 3 and 4, we will have a difficult time connecting the dots throughout the rest of the story. See, we've seen in Exodus chapters one and two the introduction, we're introduced to Moses, we see his origin, how God has preserved his life, how he killed a guy, and now he's in the wilderness hiding. And we've seen how God's been at work in his life, but in these chapters today, we get introduced to the main character of the story. We get introduced to God, who's the main character in the story of Exodus, and we also see that God chooses Moses as his messenger, that Moses is going to play a role in God's mission. And so if we miss this, the rest of Exodus will be kind of puzzling. And so the main thing that we're going to see today, the main point of these two chapters, it'll be on the screen, is that God calls Moses as his messenger to go and confront evil and deliver his people. And so before we dive in, would you pray with me? Father, thank you for this morning, thank you for these people, thank you that we get to worship you corporately together. Spirit of God, I ask that you would speak to us today, that you would speak through me, that you would speak through your word. Lord, we thank you that you have revealed yourself, that you revealed yourself to Moses, and for those of us that know you, you've revealed yourself to us. And Lord, I ask for those who are here this morning who do not yet know you, that you would reveal yourself to them this morning. It's in your name. Amen. All right, so let's pick up in Exodus chapters three. Uh, Chapter three, if you're just joining us, Exodus is the second book in your Bible, so it's close to the front. Uh, Chapter three. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Mount Horeb, the mountain of God. This is also known as Mount Sinai that's repeated through scripture, and so this is the same mountain. And the angel of the Lord appeared to Moses in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And Moses looked and behold, the bush was burning, but it was not consumed. And so here's what's going on. Moses is keeping the flock. He's doing his thing as a shepherd and he's about 80 years old at this time. So he's an old shepherd just doing his thing. He's been out in the wilderness for about 40 years because he's in hiding from the leaders of the world power of the time because he's committed murder. And so he's hiding as a shepherd. And so now what we see is that God comes to Moses in a a burning bush. And so Moses is out there doing his thing. He looks out, he sees a bush on fire in the distance and he's probably thinking to himself, man, these young Midianite kids don't have anything better to do. We live in the middle of nowhere, pyromaniacs lighting stuff on fire again, right? But as he looks, he actually sees that there's something strange. The bush is on fire, but it's not actually being burnt up. And so then Moses is probably thinking, I'm old, I'm 80, I've been out in the sun too long, I'm seeing things, right? And so let's see what Moses does. Verse three says, and Moses says, I will turn aside, I will go to see this great sight Why this bush is not burned? And when the Lord saw that Moses had turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And God said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It says that Moses hid his face because he was afraid. And so Moses says, man, this is tripping me out. This bush isn't burning, I wanna go see. And so God sees that Moses is approaching the bush and he calls out to him, Moses, Moses. And God tells him, don't come any closer. The ground on which you're standing is holy and so you need to take your sandals off of your feet. And so in order for us to understand this, we need to understand Fire. What's going on with the fire? Because typically we hear and we know that God is holy, but now it says the ground is holy. So what is going on? See, this bush was not lit on fire by anyone. The, re- the, the reason why the bush is not being burnt up is because fire throughout the biblical story is actually a synonym for the very presence of God. And so what we see is that God has descended, the very presence of God has descended here over this bush and God is holy. And what that means is that God is the only being who is uniquely powerful, who's the source of life and source of all goodness in creation, that he is other, that he is set apart from his creation. And because God is so holy and good, anywhere that God is, the area, the entire area around God is also holy. And so he says, Moses, you, you can't come near because my holiness, it's actually dangerous for you. It's dangerous not because it's bad, it's actually dangerous because it's so good. You can't come near Moses because you're not, you're not pure. You have to stay at a distance. And so what we see is Here, God comes down and he meets with Moses. The God of all of creation, the creator of everything, the creator of Moses that has been involved in his life thus far is now coming to Moses, making himself known in a formal introduction. But why? Why would God, the God of the universe, choose to come down and meet with Moses? Let's read in verse seven. The Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt. And I have heard their cries because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings and I have come down, Moses, to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the place of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, Moses, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. And so here we see why God is meeting with Moses. He's meeting with Moses because he is the God who sees. He's the God who hears, and he's the God who knows. He has heard the cries of his people. He's seen their suffering, and he knows. He identifies with it, but what we see here is that God is not a distant God. He is not aloof. He does not remain uninvolved or disinterested when people suffer. He does not continue allow, to allow evil to exist, and so God says, Moses, I have seen, I've heard, and I know, but I've come down. I've come down because I'm going to do something. I am going to act on behalf of my people to deliver them from slavery and oppression in Egypt. And guess what, Moses? I am calling you to be the messenger. You will be the one who will carry out this plan of deliverance. But this is what Moses says to God in verse 11. He says, "'Who am I, Lord, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh, and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt. So our first point this morning is, who am I? And so we see that Moses has doubt. And what we're gonna see in these chapters is that Moses doubts himself two different times. He doubts himself here, and then also in chapter four, he doubts himself again. And this doubt is, is being brought out because of his history, his story. But we also see in chapter four that he doubts himself because of his ability. See, the problem with Moses here is that he is confused. He doesn't understand his role in this deliverance plan yet, and he thinks that he is actually going to be the one who has the central role in this plan of deliverance. The problem with Moses here is that he doesn't yet realize that God cares far more about his people and delivering them than Moses does. What he doesn't realize yet is that God is actually the one doing the delivering here and God can use whatever means he wants, but God has chosen to use a weak old shepherd. And so these are the reasons that Moses pushes back. But what we see, we, we've got to empathize with Moses a little bit here. Because of his story, I've already said at the beginning, we know that Moses is a murderer. When he's in Egypt, the 40 years that he's there, he sees the suffering. He sees the horrors of this system of slavery and how oppressive it is, and he gets enraged with anger and he ends up killing one of the taskmasters who is beating the slaves. And he kills him and then he buries him, but when it gets made known, Moses is scared and so he flees, and so Moses is thinking, God, how could you use me? I'm a murderer. I've killed a man. How could I possibly be used by you? But also the fact that he lived in Egypt and he grew up in the royal court, he would have known the world power and the empire that God is now saying, you're gonna go confront the Pharaoh, the most powerful man, most likely in the world. You're gonna confront him head on. Moses knows the horrors and and he says, Lord, who am I that I should go? But what we also see in chapter four is that Moses doubts his ability. In chapter four, Moses pushes back against God again and says, Lord, not me, you don't understand. I'm not a good speaker. I'm not eloquent with my words. And what I love is what God doesn't say to Moses. Moses thinks God doesn't realize you wanna send me but you don't know that I can't speak well. And God doesn't say anything. He he doesn't say, Moses, no, you, you, you don't understand yourself. You have the power within you. Believe in yourself. you, you can do this, you can go confront power. you can go confront Pharaoh on your own. That's not what God says. God actually remains silent, and we could assume that God, that's God's way of actually saying, "You know what, Moses? I know. I know you're not a good speaker. And that's OK, because what God says next. God tells Moses, but I will be with you and I will give you the very words that you need to be able to go to Egypt to deliver my people. What God is doing is God is promising his very presence to Moses rather than requiring Moses to perform on his own. And so what we see is that Moses highlights his weakness. Moses knows that he is weak. But weakness is the way in God's economy. God knows that Moses is weak. And the beauty about weakness is that we actually learn to lean. We learn to lean on God. It makes us depend on God. The weaker we feel, the harder we lean. And this is exactly what Moses is going to have to learn how to do, is to lean on God. He's going to have to continue to lean on the very presence and power of God that is with him. You see, this directly challenges our cultural narrative of self-empowerment. We're swimming in the waters of a culture that says believe in yourself. You can do anything you want, you can be anything you want because the power is within you and unleash the power and you can do whatever. I've got to say this before I get a bunch of angry emails. I'm not anti-motivational speaking. I think there's something good for that. It's okay to have motivational speaking and motivational books. These quotes, the next three quotes I'm gonna share come from uh, self-empowerment books uh, that will be, remain nameless. Um, but these are three books that these quotes come from and, and it really summarizes the narrative in which the waters of our culture were swimming. The first one is, everything is within your power and your power is within you. The next one is, The realization that limitations are imaginary will actually make you strong and overpowering. We can change our lives. We can do anything, have anything, and be whatever we want if that's what we want. You see, these are simply not true. They're not true for Moses, and they're not true for us because Moses' limitation of not being able to speak is not imaginary, If it was imaginary, God would have said, no Moses, you don't know what you're talking about. It wasn't imaginary and Moses couldn't just conjure up the ability and the power within himself to say, I'm gonna go complete the task that God has called me to. That is not uh, what we see at all. See, rather than us trying to perform out of our own strength and power, we actually get to rely on the very presence of God that liberates us from the need to be strong and mighty. You see, this is why the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 is able to say this. He says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. But for us we've got to resonate with Moses a bit because the emotion that Moses feels about doubting himself, we also doubt ourselves. because God has called us to participate in the same mission that he was up to with Moses, confronting evil and delivering his people, but oftentimes we doubt because of our history, our stories, and our ability. And so many of us here today all of us actually, have stories. We all have stories. And we all have some sort of past that has brought us to the present where we find ourselves this morning. And many times, the things of our past, what we have done or even what may have been done to us, actually haunts us. And we feel a a tremendous amount of weight and shame over things in our past. And they come to the forefront of our mind. And these things make us feel like we are unworthy and God could never use us. And so oftentimes it, it has to do with some sort of sexual sin in our past. Or maybe we've had an abortion in the past. Or maybe we've struggled with some sort of addiction or substance abuse. Or maybe we've actually been the victim of another person's sin, right? These things well up within us and oftentimes the shame that we feel make us feel like we're not good enough to be used by God. A few months ago, I was, I was having a conversation with a girl, a member of our church, who is a Christian and, and loves the Lord, but she was talking about uh, her past and her story. She was saying, you know, I, I believe in the gospel and I know that God forgives. I haven't been able to forgive myself, right? And so there's, there's this reality where sometimes for us, we even know like God has forgiven me, but I haven't been able to forgive myself. And I, I feel this unworthiness and this shame. And so if that is you this morning, the, the good news of Jesus liberates you from that to know that God uses the brokenness and the mess to make something beautiful. And he wants to use you for the sake of his mission in the world. And so the question that I have for us this morning is in light of our doubts, in light of our fears, in light of our stories, do we believe and do we trust that God goes with us and gives us his very presence? See, for me, this resonates with with my story because I was raised in a Christian family. My parents loved Jesus and I'm thankful for that. And I grew up in the church and I even went to a Christian school. But in high school, I found myself beginning to have bitterness in my heart and a hardening of my heart towards the church, towards Christians, towards Christianity. And from about 16, 17 years old, I began to slander the people of God and slander the church and say these horrific things about the church and Christians and Christianity. And, and this went on for a number of years. And then God intervened in my life right before I was 22, 21, almost 22, and I became a Christian and started following Jesus. But I had this weird feeling, right? It's kind of like when you uh, are around a, a group of people, whether you're friends, acquaintances, and, you, and you're hating on something, right? You're saying, oh, I would never do this, I hate this, yada, 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 and you find yourself some, sometime in the near future starting to do it right where then you kind of like shrink back and hide you don't want those people to know that you're doing it because then you feel like a hypocrite and and so that's kind of how I felt right early on as a Christian and, and it almost seemed like I had to pay my dues to God as a Christian before he could use me because I had talked so horribly about his people the people that he had set his saving love on but now I find myself being grafted in to the people that he loves and so it Many of us have these doubts about why God can't use us. But what we see is that those things are are not true, that God wants to use us for the sake of his mission in the world. And so this brings us to our second point this morning. Who are you? And so we're gonna pick up here in verse 13. Um, then Moses said to God, I, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them, God? And God says to Moses, tell them, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. And so what we see is that Moses has this doubt about who am I, but now he says, well, God, you've met with me and you've told me I'm going on this this mission for deliverance, but who are you? What's your name? Because if you're telling me to go to your people, what am I supposed to tell them? And so God, this is God's self-revelation of his very name. He says, Moses, my name is I am. I am. And this Hebrew, uh, the Hebrew root word here is actually where uh, the word Yahweh, the name for God, comes from. It's the same place here, and so w- the way that this can be translated is actually. Um, I am who I am can be translated, I will be who I will be. And I I love that translation specifically because God's name is going to make sense to us as this Exodus exodus story unfolds. Is that God says, I will be who I will be. Just watch what I'm about to do and you will know who I am. This name is about to make sense to you, Moses, to the people of Israel and to all of Egypt. And so... What we see here is God tells Moses, don't just tell them I am has sent you, but tell them the God of their fathers has sent them because I've seen your suffering, I've seen their suffering and I'm going to deliver them. And so tell them that Moses. But then God says this in verse 19, he says to Moses, but I know that the king of Egypt, Pharaoh, will not let you go unless he's compelled by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and I will strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. And after that, he will let you go. And so God says, Moses, I'm sending you on this mission, but guess what, it's not gonna be easy because I already know Pharaoh's heart is resistant and it's hardened. There is no way that this man of power is going to let these people go. These are literally the people that he has enslaved and built his entire economic system off of. There's no way that he's going to let you go, but you asked who I am. I'm about to show you who I am because my power will be made known. I'm gonna give you these three, signs Moses and these three signs will show you who I am but they won't just show you who I am they will also show you what I'm about to do in Egypt because there's about to be a showdown in Egypt there's going to be a battle of the gods to determine who is the true God of the nations. Is it Yahweh, the great I am, or is it the gods of Egypt? And so God is saying, Moses, I'm giving you these signs so that you will know that I am the true God of the nations. And each one of these signs is a direct assault to dethrone and humiliate each one of the Egyptian gods who are not the true God. And so what God then says, here's the signs I'm gonna give to you. First, he tells Moses, he says, Moses, you're a shepherd, you have a staff. I want you to throw that staff on the ground. And so Moses takes his staff and he throws his staff on the ground. And that staff becomes a snake. And this is significant and has all kinds of symbolism wrapped up in it because Moses would have understood exactly what God is doing in this sign because once again, Moses spent 40 years in Egypt. See, the snake is a symbol of deity power and authority in Egypt. It's why the pharaohs wore the headdresses with the snake on the front that we often have seen in images of ancient Egyptian culture. This is a sign of authority and what God has said is, throw that down on the ground, and now there's a snake, which represents Egypt. And he tells Moses, Moses, what I want you to do next is crazy, but I want you to do it. Reach down, and I want you to grab the tail of that snake. This was most likely a viper, and if you know anything about vipers, you never grab the tail because it's going to snap back, recoil, and bite you. And so in light of Moses' doubt here, he doubts himself, he wants to know God's name, we actually see that Moses has tremendous faith because he reaches down and he grabs the tail of the snake. And what happens when he grabs the tail of the snake, the snake becomes a staff again. And Moses would have known the symbolism. This is God's way of saying, guess what Moses? My power is going to reign in Egypt. I will have the dominion and I will have the authority over the gods of Egypt. The way that you have the snake by the tail, guess what? I have Pharaoh controlled by his tail and I'm coming and I'm going to overthrow him and I will show that I am the true God. The people of Israel would have known because they lived in Egypt, they would have known the symbol. And so after that sign, God says, Moses, take your hand. The second sign, I want you to take your hand and put it in your cloak and take it back out. And what we see is that Moses' hand turns leprous. It's white as snow and he has leprosy. But God says, Moses, take your hand and put it back in your cloak and take it out again. And when he does, his hand is fully restored to a perfectly healthy hand. And this is a sign of what's to come, is that God is showing Moses and he's going to show his people that he is the God who has the power to corrupt, that he's the God who has the power to inflict, but guess what? He's also the God who has the power to restore. And this is exactly what he's going to do with each one of the plagues that he's going to send to Pharaoh in Egypt. And so God gives Moses these two signs, and then there's a third one, but he doesn't do it in front of Moses because he says, Moses, this sign is reserved only if they don't believe still. And that third sign was that Moses would take water from the Nile River and dump it out on dry ground, and that water would turn to blood when Moses poured it on the ground. And see, this is a sign of what's to come. This is a preview of the first plague that God sends to Egypt in Exodus chapter seven. God turns the Nile into blood. And what we know is that the Nile river was an Egyptian God. And so once again, this is their life source. This is a God in which they worship. And God is saying, I am going to take your primary life source and turn it into a river of death in a sinister echo of what Pharaoh had already done in Exodus chapter one, when he threw all of the baby boys into the river, it became a river of death. And so these signs that God gives show Moses, you asked who I am, this is who I am. These signs show I am the true God who has dominion and control over all of creation. But even after these signs, Moses still doesn't wanna go to Pharaoh. He doesn't want to go to Pharaoh he's still hung up on his ability. He's still hung up on the fact that he is not a good speaker. And at this point, God is frustrated, right? God's like, you know what, Moses, I'm actually pretty angry now, and so I know you've got a brother named Aaron, go get that dude because I know that he can actually speak well. And so go meet up with him, you're gonna partner, this is gonna be a partnership in deliverance. And so God says, I will be with Aaron, he can, he can speak on my behalf and you can do the signs. And so what we see is that God then comes to Moses and he says, Moses, those men that you're hiding from because you murdered this guy, they're all dead. They're no longer alive in Egypt. It's safe for you to go back. And so I want you to go back, with, to, go back to Egypt. And so Moses heads back to Egypt and he meets with Aaron in the wilderness and he tells Aaron all that the Lord has said and all that the Lord has done, and he shows him the signs, and Aaron believes. And then we come to this at the end of chapter 4. Verse 29. Then Moses and Aaron went, they're, they're in Egypt now. Uh, they went and gathered together all the elders of the people of Israel. And Aaron spoke all the words that the Lord had spoken to Moses and Moses did all of the signs. And the people believed and when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel and that he had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and worshiped. So we see the culmination of this interaction between God and Moses. This conversation ends with Moses and Aaron in front of the people they do the signs in front of it and it says that the people all believed but they didn't just believe they, they worshiped they worshiped God you see in the same way that he, in the same way that God's people worshiped him because they knew he was going to deliver them he had come down for the exodus in the same way that they worshiped him we can worship God because Many years after the Exodus, God would come down again. And this time he would take on human flesh and he would dwell among us. He moved into our neighborhood. And what we see is that Moses was kept at a distance at the burning bush because of God's holy presence. He was not pure and he couldn't come near. But what we see now is when God comes in the flesh, Jesus enables us to draw near because he washes us and makes us pure. But Israel also worshiped God because they knew that he was the true God of the nations who had the power to deliver from evil and oppression. But as we know, even after the Exodus story, because we're on this side of it in human history, we know that evil and oppression did not end with the Exodus deliverance. We know that it was still pervasive in the world and because evil wreaks havoc on God's good world that he loves, God would come down again and Jesus and Jesus this time would overthrow and confront the powers of evil once and for all as he went to the cross willingly he triumphed over satan sin death and the powers that gripped the world and what Jesus did is he ushered in his kingdom where justice and peace reign on earth as it is in heaven this is our god he is the deliverer and we can worship him rightly and our last point this morning is what's the mission and so God has this mission today to confront the powers of evil and deliver his people. And so we participate in this mission in the same way that Moses participated in this mission. God has given us the power of his spirit that we can participate. And so there's, two, there's many ways that we participate in God's mission, but specifically there's two ways that we can participate based on what we've talked about today. The first one is with prophetic voices. And so what I mean by prophetic voices specifically is that we have a role the same way that Moses had a role to speak on behalf of God. We have a role as God's people to expose and call out evil, injustice, and idolatry. And we do this because we want to live faithfully as God's people, we want to know the idols that are vying for our attention and our affections that rip us away from living faithfully to Jesus. And so we expose them by calling them out. And we know there's many idols, in our, in not only in our world, but also in our society that are vying for our hearts. Things like consumerism and nationalism, things like hedonism and sex, technicism, individualism, all of these things that you've heard us talk about as a church, the reason why we talk about it is because we want to live faithfully. We have to expose these idols so that we can resist bowing our knees to them but we also use our prophetic voices not just to expose idolatry, but to call out and expose where evil and injustice exists. In the same way that Moses was calling out and exposing Pharaoh, this world power leader who is using his power to oppress people and abuse them, there are many modern day Pharaohs in our world. There are many modern day Pharaohs in our country. There's personal injustice and there's systems of injustice. And this is everything from sex trafficking to things that perpetuate poverty and keep people in bondage. We have a role to speak prophetically against these things. But we also have another role, evangelism that we have a role to proclaim the good news of the gospel of Jesus, the good news of the kingdom of God that is here, that is broken into history where God's justice and peace reign and rule, that God delivers people from their oppression and bondage and brings them into the kingdom where they can live and experience life as it's meant to be. They can be truly human. And so I know that for many of us when we say the word evangelism, we cringe up and we freeze. We're like, aren't there missionaries that are supposed to do that? I get it, but I want to encourage you. Maybe you've never shared your faith and maybe you don't know how, but I want to encourage you to invite. We're launching something in two weeks on Wednesday the 18th that Jake Slobodnik oversees and does a phenomenal job at called Alpha. And Alpha is something specifically designed for people who are not Christians, that they can come and they can ask questions, that they can try to poke holes in the Christian faith, but we welcome them and we love them and we create a hospitable environment where we dialogue and ask questions. And so, would you pray? and ask, God, who is it in my life? Who's one person who doesn't know Jesus that I could invite to Alpha? And that could be a small step and you could have a small role in participating in what God is doing in the world. And so as we close this morning, let us worship our God because our God is the God who confronts evil and delivers his people. Let's pray. Father, you are good, and we thank you, Lord, that you are not distant. Lord, we thank you that you are not disinterested, that you are not aloof, but Lord, as we've seen, you hear the cries of the oppressed, that you see suffering, that you know, but Lord, you have acted. And so, Lord, I pray even specifically for those this morning who are suffering, Lord, that your very presence would meet them where they are, Lord, that you would comfort them and draw them near. And so, Holy Spirit, I ask that you would continue to speak to us through this. Lord, I I pray that we would worship you rightly, Lord, as we see that you are the one true God of the nations. And so, Lord, we thank you for acting in human history, that you've come down to redeem. But, Lord, we also ask that you would be with us as we leave here today. Lord, that we could live faithfully as your people. It's in your name, amen.